you and I need to be alert that Jesus is coming soon. We just don't know when. A genuine believer will not be afraid of the fact that Jesus is coming anytime soon. He will be excited. He will want to face his Savior, Lord, Master, and King. And perhaps even once in a while will say to himself, you know what? Now that this day is over, it brings me one day closer to being face to face with my King. You are listening to CCF Runthrough, timeless truths for today's life in just 30 minutes. If you want to hear more or know more about our ministry, please visit ccf.org.ph. Enjoy listening. So what is our message today? Our message today is be ready for the king's return. All of the parables we've been talking about and will continue to speak about in succeeding Sundays, they are all about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. And obviously, if you have a kingdom, you have a, that's right, you have a king. And in this case, there is no other king except King Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, and our Master. And if there is one thing that King Jesus promised, he promised his disciples back then, and he's promising to you and to me today, is that someday he will come back. When Jesus returns, that final separation between the genuine and the fake Christians will finally take place. And can I tell you something right up front? The best way to be ready for the king's return is to be a genuine Christian. Today we'll be looking at three parables. Two of them are in Matthew chapter 24, and they're quite short. You might say uh, in movie language, they are like previews of the main feature. The main feature, the third parable we will talk about and spend more time on is in Matthew chapter 25. But you will notice that as we go through all of these three parables, there will be three very consistent truths or principles. And these principles are, number one, return, return. And that means that you and I need to be alert that Jesus is coming soon. We just don't know when. A genuine believer will not be afraid of the fact that Jesus is coming anytime soon. He will be excited. He will want to face his Savior, Lord, Master, and King. And perhaps even once in a while will say to himself, you know what, now that this day is over, it brings me one day closer to being face-to-face with my King. So that's return. Be alert that Jesus is coming soon. We just don't know exactly when. The second principle is role. And role says, be faithful in all Jesus calls you to do. You and I learned last Sunday that a genuine believer, a genuine Christian, will give his all for Jesus. Jesus will be his highest priority. What Jesus wants is what he will want. What breaks Jesus' heart is what will break his heart. And what Jesus wants him to do is what he will do. So that's role. Be faithful in all that Jesus calls us to do. And the final principle, and this is the most 
basic and foundational of all is relationship. This is where it all begins. And relationship says, be sure you genuinely know Jesus. Be sure you truly belong to him in a personal, genuine, intimate relationship. So let's begin with our first parable, illustrating our first principle, which is return. Be alert that Jesus is coming soon. In Matthew chapter 24, beginning with verse 32, Jesus tells the parable of the fig tree. Jesus said in verse 32, Now learn the parable from the fig tree when its branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So here is Jesus once again, using imagery, language, words, situations that are very familiar to his audience. Most people listening to him then would know what a fig tree was, and they would be familiar or at least be reminded that indeed, when the branch has become tender and put forth its leaves, a certain season is right around the corner. And in this case, it's summer. But you will notice by now that in most, if not all parables, Jesus begins with something very familiar. And yet somewhere along the way, he introduces a twist or a challenge. And that compels the hearers to think, how does this apply to me? Where am I in this story? Who am I? In this story, in some cases. And so in verse 33, Jesus does exactly that. He says, So you too, when you see all these things, recognize that he, that's Jesus, he is near and right at the door. What was Jesus talking about when he referred to all these things or when you see all these things? Well, you see earlier in the chapter, his disciples were asking him, Lord, uh, what will be the signs of your impending return? And so he described many of them. He talked about wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes, pestilence, famine, persecution, the worldwide spread of the gospel. And so he said, when you see all these things, recognize that he, in this case himself, I am near and right at the door, referring to his return. And guess what? All of those things that Jesus mentioned way back then, 2,000 years ago, you know that you and I are seeing them right now. And so this principle of return is very, very critical to you and to me. We need to be ready that Jesus is coming soon. We need to be on the alert. Now, Jesus was very emphatic about something. He did say, that his return is soon. But he said a couple of verses down in verse 36, he said, but of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the son, but the father alone. In this case, Jesus purposely subordinated himself to the will of the father. He says, only my father will say so. Only my father knows when exactly I will return. And therefore, this was Jesus' conclusion. A few more verses down in Matthew 24, verses 42 and 44, he makes very similar 
warnings, and conclusions. Actually, they're commands. He said, therefore, be on the alert. Why? For you do not know which day your Lord is coming. And in verse 44, he said something very similar. He says, for this reason, you also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. So Jesus is saying, first, he is surely coming back. He's coming soon. We don't know exactly when he's coming. And more than that, he's saying he will actually show up at a time when we least expect him to. That's the principle of return. Our next principle is role. Remember, be faithful in all that Jesus has called us to do. And so let's go now to our second parable. This time, it's the parable of the, well, supposedly faithful slave. Let's read that together. Who then is the faithful and sensible slave? Now, you and I know faithful means uh, can be counted on, dependable. Sensible actually means wise or prudent. And remember that word, wise, or the word prudent. That will be very, very important in the main feature. So he says, who then is the faithful and sensible slave or servant or steward, if you like, whom his master put in charge of his household to give them their food at the proper time? So here very clearly, the master of the household gave this slave a very clear role. What role was that? And that is, he put him in charge of his household to give them their food at the proper time. Again, it's an imagery or a situation that most people in Jesus' audience can identify with. They'll say, yeah, that sounds like a very reasonable and common scenario. And then Jesus says, Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Again, he kind of pedals back to the principle of return. And then he says, truly, I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. So here, King Jesus is reminding you and me, not only will he come back someday, but he's expecting faithfulness in the meantime. And he will reward faithfulness very generously when he comes back. But wait, <laughs> there's more, remember? There's a twist. Jesus said, but if that evil slave, uh, wait a minute, wasn't he supposedly a faithful slave? But now he's being described as an evil slave. Again, it's to make people think, who are you in this story? Which one will you turn out to be? And in the same way that that question was directed to his audience 2,000 years ago, that same question is directed to you and to me today. So let's go back. If that evil slave says in his heart, my master is not coming for a long time and begins to beat his fellow slaves and eat and drink with drunkards, the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him and will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So this is a 
shocker of an ending to this story. And Jesus doesn't just call this slave unfaithful or lazy. He calls him a very strong word, and that word is evil. That means worthless. That means rotten on the inside. And how do we know that that term is justified? In other words, this person said, first, my master is not coming for a long time. So this slave gave no second thought to the fact that his master could come anytime. As far as he was concerned, he conveniently assumed his master would be gone for a long time. And what did that imply for himself? It implied he could do whatever he wanted, which is exactly what happened. It says he would beat his fellow slaves and eat and drink with drunkards. In other words, this man's sole objective in life was just to please himself. Pleasing, honoring his master, knowing that his master would return anytime, that was farthest from his mind. And what was the consequence? The consequence is this. Well, it says the master came on a day when he did not expect him. And what the master would do is that he will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. Remember that word. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. In other words, Jesus is again going back to the eternal consequence of fake followers of fake believers, fake Christians. The eternal consequence is hell. It is forever being separated from God. And here he used the word hypocrite. Very interestingly, the word hypocrite, you know what that means? It means an actor. Again, we're going back to our movie language. It's a stage actor, a pretender, somebody who was never genuine from the very beginning. And if you remember from last Sunday, we heard these phrases already. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. Weeping means deep sorrow. And gnashing of teeth means intolerable and eternal regret. And this is why you and I need to be ready for the king's return. We went through two very short parables which are a preview to our main one, which is the parable of the ten virgins. So Jesus begins in Matthew 25, verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven will be comparable to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were prudent or wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the prudent took oil in flasks along with their lamps. Now, while the bridegroom was delaying, they all got drowsy and began to sleep. But at midnight, there was a shout, Behold, the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the prudent, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the prudent answered, No, there will not be enough for us and you too. Go instead to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And while they were going away to make the purchase, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the wedding feast. And the door was shut. 
Later, the other virgins also came saying, Lord, Lord, open up for us. But he answered, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Be on the alert then, for you do not know the day nor the hour. So there you have it, folks, our main feature, the parable of the ten virgins. Who are the characters in this story? Well, number one, obviously, the bridegroom. I'll give you one guess as to who the bridegroom is. Of course, it's Jesus. And you have the ten virgins or bridesmaids or maidens, as some translations put it. And these are his shall we say, supposed followers. Now, ladies, I know you're asking yourself, what about the bride? Well, of course, by implication, there is a bride in this story. But for this particular parable, the obvious characters are the bridegroom and the ten virgins. And I need to tell you that when it comes to ancient Jewish weddings, the star of the show is not the bride. The star of the show, the center of attention, is the bridegroom. How do we know that Jesus is really the bridegroom? Well, he said it himself. In Matthew 9, verse 14, it says, Then the disciples of John, that's John the Baptist, came to him, Jesus, asking, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Look at the answer of Jesus. And Jesus said to them, the attendants of the bridegroom. Who are those? Those are the disciples of Jesus. The attendants of the bridegroom, Jesus is the bridegroom, cannot mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them. Can they? But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will fast. So in these verses and in other portions of the Bible, especially in the book of Revelation, we know for a fact that Jesus really is the bridegroom. When it comes to this issue of ancient Jewish weddings, I assume that most of us are unfamiliar with their process. So I'd like to take us through a brief and simplified description of what ancient Jewish weddings are like. They're actually a long and elaborate process, and they carry very deep meaning for followers of Jesus today. What do I mean? Let me just describe in broad strokes what ancient Jewish weddings were like. Well, first of all, you had the time when the bridegroom, along with his parents, would come for the first time to the home of the bride and her parents. And so this was a time of betrothal. This was a time of proposal. This was pretty much an arranged marriage. And there would be uh, the payment of what they call the bride price. And when everything was agreed on and the bride had also accepted, the bridegroom and the bride were actually legally married already. There was just no cohabitation. In other words, there was no physical intimacy yet. There was no consummation of the marriage. The next, next stage, the bridegroom goes away. Why would the bridegroom go away? Well, his purpose is to prepare a place for his bride at his father's house 
where someday he will come back and take his bride to be with him and they will be together for the rest of their lives. How long does he stay away? Well, traditionally, commentators tell us that the bridegroom returns after about a year, but no one knows exactly when. And some historical commentators say it is the father of the bridegroom who will determine when the place is ready and therefore when the bridegroom should return to claim his bride. And when he returns, that's exactly what he does. He claims his bride, takes her back to his house, the place that he prepared, and that is when this elaborate, amazing wedding celebration takes place. Why should this be meaningful to you and me today? Does this process sound familiar at all to you? Well, you know, it should. Why? Because 2,000 years ago, Jesus came and he paid the price for our sins. And for those of us who are genuine Christians, we know that sometime in our lives, we accepted him. We entered into a personal, intimate relationship with him. But at the same time, 2,000 years ago, we know that Jesus left. He physically ascended and he said, because it was to prepare a place for all genuine believers. And yes, he did send the Holy Spirit to guide us, but that's another message all by itself. And finally, the bridegroom returns. We know by Jesus' own words that Jesus will return for his bride, which is the church, and there will usher in that amazing wedding feast. Isn't that just amazing that the, the story of the ancient Jewish wedding is actually the love story between Jesus and ourselves? And you know this whole thing about going away, preparing a place, a return for the bride? This is not a coincidence. Jesus talked about this himself. He said in John 14 verses 2 and 3, In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Let's go back to Matthew 25, verse 1. Again, it says, Then the kingdom of heaven will be comparable to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now, by this time, the bridegroom has already returned to the bride's house. He has entered the bride's house. The ten virgins, the wedding party, they are ready. They just don't know exactly when the bridegroom will emerge. Remember our first principle, the principle of return. Then let's go to the next verses. In verses 2 to 4, this is what we read. Again, Jesus starts to build up the suspense and make people think. So he said there were 10 virgins. And then he says five of them were foolish and five were prudent or wise. Remember, I said, remember that word from the earlier parable, the prudent, the wise, the sensible slave. And then he defined what he meant by foolish and prudent. He said, for when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, 
but the prudent took oil in flasks along with their lamps. Now, many translators say that the word lamp probably does not refer to, you know, those little tiny lamps with little bitty romantic lights. Most likely, they refer to torches. Torches that emit a very generous light because most of these wedding ceremonies were held at night. So you needed bright lights to light the way. And of course, the brighter the lights, the more celebrative the mood would become. Now remember, we are talking about the principle of the role. What is the role of the virgins or the bridesmaids? Remember, the virgins were now waiting for the bridegroom to emerge from the bride's home. And when the bridegroom would come out, then the virgins or the bridesmaids would light the way for the wedding party to go back to the bridegroom's home. So they offered not just a practical role of lighting up a dark place, but they contributed to the, the celebratory mood of the whole thing. And again, at the end of the day, the role of the virgins was to play their part in honor of the bridegroom because the bridegroom was the centerpiece, the focus of all of the attention of this wedding ceremony. Now, if you are a faithful bridesmaid, you will know your role. And if you really want to honor the bridegroom, you will make sure that at any time, your torch will be as bright as possible. Therefore, you will bring oil with you. But for the five foolish virgins, again, their center of attention was not the bridegroom. They gave no second thought to the possibility that they may run out of oil. They conveniently forgot or paid no attention to the fact that the bridegroom may be delayed and therefore they may run out of oil. If you ask me, for these five foolish virgins, they were only thinking about themselves. They just wanted to be in the party and enjoy it, but their focus, their priority was clearly not the bridegroom. So let's continue with the story. Verse 5, and this is what I call the, the calm before the climax. Okay, why do I say that? It says, now while the bridegroom was delaying, they all got drowsy and began to sleep. Okay, nothing wrong here. This is not a criticism uh, by Jesus of the ten virgins. I mean, it was nighttime. It was getting late. They had no idea when the bridegroom would emerge. Naturally, they got sleepy and they fell asleep. Now, today, we see many of the signs of Jesus' impending return. But sometimes we cannot help but think, how come it seems to be taking so long? Well, the Bible explains the reason behind the so-called delay. In 2 Peter 3.9, it tells us that the so-called delay in Jesus' return is intentional. The Lord is not slow about His promise. What promise is that? His promise to come back. The Lord is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. I am so glad that Jesus did not come back before 1986. You know why? Because I gave my life to Jesus. 
1986. If he came back before then, it would have been too late for me. Perhaps many of you are actually among those precious reasons why Jesus is seemingly delaying his return. He loves you so very, very much. It says here, he doesn't wish for any to perish. And perhaps Jesus is giving you this golden opportunity to come to repentance. So my friend, if you, if you sense the Lord speaking to your heart later on towards the end of this message, we will give you and anyone who is willing an opportunity to truly and genuinely give your life to Jesus, to be your Savior, your Lord, your Master, and your King. Meanwhile, at midnight, this is now the climax, ladies and gentlemen. Verse 6 and 7, it says, But at midnight there was a shout, Behold, the bridegroom, come out to meet him. And then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. Now, why did they trim their lamps? Supposedly to help make the flame shine more brightly. But what happened? The foolish said to the prudent, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the prudent answered, No, there will not be enough for us and you too. Go instead to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. Now, folks, what time did this happen? It said it happened at midnight. I really do not know if these five foolish virgins will find any dealers who will sell them oil. The point is, there will be a time when it will simply be too late. But you see, we learn other lessons from this particular conversation. We learn that our faith can never be borrowed. Our faith can never just be a mimic faith. We can never expect to simply copy genuine Christians to sound like they sound, to do what they do on the outside but have no transformation on the inside and expect that when Jesus returns, that we will all conveniently enter the kingdom of heaven with everybody else. It cannot be. There is no salvation by association. There is no salvation by membership. There is no salvation by osmosis. There is only salvation by one putting his or her faith and trust completely in Jesus alone for salvation for forgiveness of sin, and for eternal life. So here we are in verse 10. While they were going away to make the purchase, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding feast, and the door was shut. Later, the other virgins also came, saying, Lord, Lord, open up for us. But he answered, Truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Be on the alert then, for you do not know the day nor the hour. Let me point something out in these verses. Remember we said Jesus will use familiar situations, but he will often introduce a twist, something that people do not expect. You see, most likely, Eastern hospitality will dictate that the door will be opened and these virgins who came late will still be able to join the party. 
But here is a conclusion that probably no one in the audience expected. Because the bridegroom himself answered the five foolish virgins. And his answer to them was not, sorry, doors closed at 12.45 a.m. That was not his answer. His answer was, truly I say to you. In other words, I'm not joking. This is critical. Listen to what I'm saying. This is conclusive. I do not know you. Meaning to say, these five foolish virgins never had any relationship with the bridegroom. They were fake followers. And they found themselves forever separated from him for all of eternity. And that's why Jesus' conclusion in verse 13, which is, by the way, our memory verse for this week. Be on the alert then, for you do not know the day nor the hour. As we come to our conclusion, let me take our three principles and sort of put them into a summary statement. You will notice that they are now in the reverse order. It begins with relationship, it goes on to role, and it ends with return. Because this is the true sequence. And let me read it for you as we end. Be sure you are in a genuine relationship with Jesus. Through His Spirit's power, faithfully live out His role for your life. Then you will be ready for His return. When will his return be? Well, folks, we end with this verse. This is our memory verse. Be on the alert then, for you do not know the day nor the hour. How about you, my friend? Are you ready for the king's return? Let's end with a time of prayer. And as I said earlier in this message, if you have not truly given your life to Jesus yet, this is the opportunity. Don't let it pass you by. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you, first of all, for all the genuine believers who, through the power of your Spirit living within them, are living out lives that truly honor you and glorify you. And I pray that you'll encourage them, you'll encourage all of us, that indeed, with each day that passes, it brings us one day closer to your return. But right now, I want to pray for those people who have never fully surrendered their lives to you, who for the first time, I pray, will give themselves fully over to you for you to be their Savior, their Lord, their Master, and their King. If you are that person, if the Lord has spoken to your heart, don't resist. Humble yourself and say something like this to our coming King. Lord Jesus, I need you in my life. All of these years, I lived my life for myself. I was my first priority. But today, Lord Jesus, I respond to your prompting. I open up my heart 
and I give myself completely to you. I trust in you and in you alone for the forgiveness of my sin and for my eternal salvation. I declare that from this day forward, you are my master and my king. Help me to live for your glory, your pleasure. In your name I pray, amen and amen.